Hello and welcome to the Tide Podcast. This is your host, Mondar Ben Hamida, and in this latest installment, episode number seven, I host a truly inspiring young entrepreneur, Tarim Mishwini, who turned his frustration with expense reports, something that many of us in the business world truly dread, into an exciting new startup called Expensia, which is using Tunisian tech talent to completely revamp the seemingly mundane field using the latest uh, technologies and machine learning and cloud-based solutions. I really enjoyed my conversation with Karim, and I hope you do as well. We covered a bunch of topics, including Tunisian tech talent and its potential to become an export industry, how it compares to other regions, and also ways for the diaspora to help the likes of Karim. And we geeked out a bit on all of these new technologies that are becoming a major magnet for talent uh, all over the world. I walked away from this conversation thinking that people like Karim and his cohort on the fledgling Tunisian tech scene give us hope that talented youngsters back home are starting to realize that potential and will be the face of the modern and prosperous Tunisia we all aspire to see. Enjoy the episode, check the notes, and reach out with questions and comments. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the new uh, episode of the Thai Podcast. Today, I'm very pleased uh, to host um, a brilliant Tunisian, a brilliant Tunisian entrepreneur who's truly uh, 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 an inspiring uh, figure in the tech scene in Tunisia, Karim Jouini, um, uh, who has been making uh, great waves uh, in, the, in the tech scene, startup scene in Tunisia through uh, a startup of his that started... Uh, in France, has uh, really some great roots in Tunisia. So I'm looking forward to this conversation with him, where we'll cover uh, the evolution of his company, uh, his uh, his vision for the company uh, the next few years, and then what he sees as uh, as the role of the Tunisian talent in, in further de- developing uh, uh, the tech sector uh, in Tunisia. So welcome, Karim. Hi, hi. Thanks for hosting me. I'm really happy to, to, to talk to the type uh, community. Very good, very good. So, Karim, uh, I came across your name, uh, I think, last year um, when I listened to, uh, to your interview on Express FM, the Tunisian uh, radio uh, station. And it was truly great to listen to, your, uh, to, to, to how you evolved uh, through your uh, uh, student years in France, how you started thinking about the... Uh, your company and how you decided to basically give back to the country and leverage the talent. So uh, I'm very, very interested in learning more about you. And I think uh, the, the entire type audience will be, uh, um, uh, will be greatly appreciative to really learn more about Karim Ejwini. So tell us about uh, uh, the last few years of Karim's life. Uh, who is Karim Ejwini? Okay, sure. So my name is Karim, I'm 31, and I'm born in Tunis, although I didn't live that long in Tunis because my father was a diplomat, so he he dragged us uh, with him, and we followed him in the different countries he worked in, although we uh, came back to Tunis every summer, and I spent a few years in Tunis. So especially the two last years of high school, I spent them in Tunis before graduating and moving to France. Um, so what did I do in my life? Uh, I started my first company when I was in Tunis, when I was 15. It was, uh, I don't know if you guys still remember cyber cafes, but cyber cafes used to be big uh, in, in, in 2002. 
and I used to do software for cyber cafes, the kind of software that measures how much time you spend on the machine and, and, and you have a subscription and how much you should pay. And so uh, that's how I, I, I got the taste of entrepreneurship. I used to make maybe 300 dinars a week and I used to feel like a, an oil tycoon, you know, like uh, I never felt as rich as then. And so I, I, I kept that taste for entrepreneurship. Then I moved to France to do engineering studies. So I studied computer engineering in Toulouse, in inside Toulouse. And I did an exchange program with the University of Western in London, uh, Ontario, so in Canada. And uh, that's when I started doing some machine learning. So my, my exchange program was around machine learning in, in Western. Um, then when I left Western, I, I participated in some uh, entrepreneurship experience. I really loved it. Uh, it is uh, vidmer.fr in France, which is uh, FML in, in the US. So it's not the experience I'm the most proud of when I talk in the B2B environment, but we had so much fun working on this FML uh, product and it had 7 million active users. It was obviously not my startup. I was just part of the team. And, and again, it kept this taste of, I really wanted to start a startup. Then I moved to uh, Seattle. So I started working at Microsoft in Redmond. It was my uh, end of studies internship. And I loved that company. I, I ended up at Microsoft um, maybe almost randomly. Uh, at my generation, everyone wanted to work for Google. So that's what I wanted. And I didn't have my visa on time to work for Google. So I went to Microsoft kind of sad, and it was the best experience of my life. And so I ended up spending seven years at Microsoft, just a few months in Seattle. And then I moved to Paris because they acquired the company in Paris. And that's where I spent most of my years as a developer and then as a dev lead. And then I was engineering manager of Xbox Music Cloud up to 2014. Okay, is that clear? Still following me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's great. I, I didn't know, and I, or maybe maybe I forgot till, um, I forgot uh, some of the details from the interview I listened to a couple of years ago. But this is great. So it's uh, you you really served as an ambassador between uh, between. Uh, uh, Europe and uh, North America. So maybe before we 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 get into into Expansia, Karim, can you can you compare how the, the tech scene in France and the tech scene uh, in the Pacific Northwest or in the U.S. and North America in general? Right? What are the similarities? Uh, what are the advantages of one versus the other? What's your sense? So there are multiple uh, big differences, obviously. Uh, I would say the, 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 the first uh, difference is how much does it cost to have a developer, at least on the paper. So Europe has uh, cheaper developers and Tunisia is even, even cheaper. So from a tech scene, there is much more developers in Europe um, to hire than in the US, which is the, 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 the uh, perception I have. I feel there is a, a strong, I would say, lack of talent in the US. So level of developers is higher. When you hire an American developer, in average, he tends to have more skills and more experience than in Europe. But I feel the US market is really lacking a lot of um, developers to hire. I don't know if you agree with that, but I feel that it's really like, yeah, it's very hard to find a good developer uh, who, who you can hire or you have to spend. Yeah, I mean, I'm dealing, that's a great point in terms of, uh, it's one of the things like, uh, the, I mean, even politicians now are talking about like the need to boost like STEM studies and STEM's uh, 
a STEM curriculum, right, to really create more engineers. And unfortunately, also many U.S. engineers went into uh, into finance, not necessarily like tech or other sectors. And that's why uh, a country like India, right, I mean, has been such a purveyor of tech talent for uh, for American companies. Uh, to give you an example, uh, even at Apple, I'm dealing with uh, with challenges sometimes because uh, we we really need to rely on lots of uh, remote talent. I want to get back to this to this particular item later on, right? To compare Tunisian tech talent to other 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 countries more famous probably for uh, uh, as outsourcing hubs, right? For for tech talent. But uh, yeah, sure. please proceed. Sure, I would say that's that's number one difference. Number two difference is how uh, competitive the market is but also how large the market is. The U.S. market tends to be more competitive than European markets, but it's much easier to grow in that market because you have a single language, a single country. Sure, there is some state differences and some regulations uh, in fintech, in, in, in data privacy. You have a few small differences between states, but it's still a single market, the largest you can grow in, although it's very competitive. Europe is pretty different, where it's a, a comparable market in size, but extremely fragmented. So when you start a company in France and you want to grow through Europe, you have um, a talent issue. You need to find someone who speaks Spanish, which is my current issue right now. We're growing in Spain and, and Germany, and I, I need to hire people that speak Spanish and German. You need people that speak English, you need people that speak French, etc. So I would say it's much harder to create a giant from Europe than it is in the US, at least in the first few years of that adventure. Um, what, what other differences can I find? Obviously, um, uh, VC money. VC money is easier in the US, or at least the tickets tend to be much higher. The Series A in the US is much higher than a typical Series A in Europe. But what is hidden is that in Europe, there is much more government funding. So I saw a study recently by EY that showed that actually if you take government funding in Europe plus VC money, it's comparable to VC money in the US. Wow. So here wow. we have a lot of because there's insane European um, uh, government funding for innovation. Yeah. The, the US the US is, is I mean, you described really some of the key advantages of the US, right, in terms of like being a true single market, right? I'm, I'm, uh, actually, you, you kind of reminded me of, uh, of, uh, of a comment made by a pilot one time I read in an article. So it's not in the tech scene. But uh, he, he basically said when you travel from Moscow to Lisbon, Portugal, you have to check in, check out in so many countries, right? It's like there is no unified sky over Europe. He said versus like you fly from New York all the way to San Francisco or Oahu or Hawaii, you, you basically, that's it, right? You don't need to really keep talking. So it's almost like a, a good metaphor in terms of like the advantage of having 330 million people in a single like big area. And then you have in Western Europe, probably half the size of continental North America, but then same size population, but lots more kind of complexity. On the funding thing, that's interesting, right? Because the US, I think what what's really potentially could have... Uh, be, uh, negative effects on 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 
innovation here is that people think of Silicon Valley and VC as purveyors of money, but the truth is many of our innovations, I mean, uh, the, the backbone for the internet, uh, GPS, so many other things, uh, database science, right? Uh, you, you look at UC Berkeley or you look at DARPA, right? The, uh, the research uh, unit, uh, the advanced research unit of the Department of Defense. Many of uh, some of the key uh, scientific and technical elements that led to the high-tech revolution have been, have been kind of uh, uh, paid for by taxpayers in the U.S. But then government funding for this uh, NSF foundation is lacking money now. I mean, there are some really uh, worrisome signs, right? So maybe there's an opportunity for Europe or China to, to kind of like uh, get ahead. Who knows? We shall see. Yeah, I fully agree. I think uh, it's very hard for uh, corporate money to go and fund uh, what I would say core science because it's, it's, it's extremely expensive and you need government funding to come and fund core technology for everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, so you're, you're basically funding basic, like you said, basic like science or core research without a, 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 mar a market or without a product in mind, right? I mean, one, one exactly. other example that's also potentially uh, kind of uh, could impact all of our humanity, right? Most of the drugs that companies like Pfizer or Merck, etc., kind of claim to develop, and for sure they spend billions on R&D to develop their drugs, but the preliminary research in many, many cases would have been covered by another governmental institution in the U.S. like the NIH, the National Institute uh, Institutes for Health. But that money is also drying up, right? So somehow, I don't know, like, that's why like maybe, uh, I don't know, we shall see, but it's, it's, a, moving, it's a moving target. Uh, anyways, we'll get, we'll get we'll, maybe we'll revisit this point because I, uh, as, um, as you may know, I don't know, but uh, I've been going to China so many times, so I have... Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been observing like the growth of China, the, stra the strategic kind of uh, directions they have, but um, we shall see. I mean, the next few years will be very interesting for sure. So back to uh, yeah. back to the next chapter of your of your life. Let's see. Okay, sure. So, uh, but I want to get back to that Ch Chinese um, point you had. I think uh, the Chinese market shows us the difference between U.S. and Europe in the meaning that. Uh, we see American companies go international when they are at a certain size. Okay, let's say they go out of the U.S. market when they are big. Uh, European companies have to get out of their local market when they are of average size. Chinese companies get out of the market when they are huge because they're, they have this single huge market where they don't need to get international before. So I think we underestimate the size of Chinese startups because also they only get out of the market when they are insanely large. Yeah, I mean? that's great. That's absolutely, it's like uh, WeChat, for instance, right? It's almost yes. limited, kind of limited to China. Obviously, it has users overseas, but its main focus through mobile payment and lots of like, it's becoming almost like, uh, somebody called it, the. it's becoming the U.S., of a typical Chinese person life, right? Everything is on WeChat, exactly. right? And, it's the and, largest bank. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's largest bank. And it's, it's insane, right? It's insane because maybe, I don't know, like a, a, a big percentage of the world's population probably would have never heard of WeChat, would never use WeChat, and yet it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise. So that's a huge advantage of definitely the Chinese market, 1.3 or 1.3 billion people. And then unlike India, for instance, which also another economic superpower, but unlike India, 
China, the, the, the strategy is being kind of defined and executed by a small team, right? I mean, it's not really fragmented like uh, like it is in, in in India or a big country like Brazil, right? So China is definitely is definitely uh, a country to 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 study and observe for the next few years. Sure. So yeah. So get, getting back to to expansion. So um, uh, you know, in 2011 there was the the Tunisian Revolution, and a lot of people that were living abroad, like me, that I left Tunisia in 2004. So it's been seven, eight years then. Uh, I wanted to see what's happening in Tunisia and how to contribute. So I started going more and more often, seeing how I could contribute. Uh, and I did a few different experiences that weren't in my field. So we started a small NGO with a few friends that wasn't a success at all. And at some point, I realized that actually the best way for me to help is to do what I, what I know how to do, which is computer engineering. And, and also, I had this pain point which is expense reporting. I hated doing my expense reports when I was at Microsoft. I used to do them sometimes with 18 months delay with everything you can imagine around that. And so uh, I had this pain point, this uh, will to rediscover Tunisia and to contribute somehow, and, and the taste for entrepreneurship. The three combined pushed me to making this experience. So I moved back to Tunis. I left Microsoft, moved back to Tunis and founded Expansia. Expansia is actually a Tunisian startup. It started in Tunis, not in Paris. So I moved to Tunis. I was a sole founder when I started, hired four people, did the first prototype. Uh, so that was end of 2014. Beta was out 2015, May 2015. We were roughly maybe 10 people then, uh, all out of Tunis. And that's when we realized actually Tunisian market has huge issues in it. Um, going internationally from Tunis is very challenging. Different markets are closed. You cannot sell with credit card in Europe or in the US if you're not an American company or a European company. So we felt that it's really hard to go international from there. And we didn't want to sell in the Tunisian market. We didn't see a product market fit in Tunis. And our main focus was France. So we ended up creating a company in France just to build customers. So that's, how, that's why we have a French company that was founded in May 2015, which is just basically to build customers from France, because you need to be a European company to build Europeans. And so we started growing from there. We had obviously maybe four months of um, uh, running a product with no customers, basically, just people trying and leaving, and, and us searching for product market fit, fixing, talking to customers, understanding what they need, and then we started having actual paying customers um, end of 2015, like having tens of paying customers end of 2015. And by the way, I have a small anecdote as you're from Apple. Our number one customer who actually paid for the subscription, the first guy, uh, used to be the head of Apple France. He was like, he left Apple and he's, he's, he's a consultant and he had a ton of uh, expense reports. And so, and, and so we went to talk to him and try to understand why he actually paid. And, and it was one of the best um, uh, interviews I had with a the, with the customer then. So um, 2016, we, we had uh, some level of growth. We started signing larger customers, uh, so larger SMEs, because in the beginning, our customers had two, three, five users. Uh, we started signing customers of 100, 200 users. And we realized actually B2B, is very hard to do completely online. You need to have physical presence. Um, people like 
for larger companies like the sales guy to go to the company to have a set of meetings, you need to convince the different decision makers to close that deal. So we ended up uh, having an office in Paris. The office opened in October 16, October 2016, and we hired sales in, in, in Paris. Uh, and we continued our growth. So Expansia is doubling uh, volumes every four to five months since we started. We still obviously relatively small startup, but today we have 40 employees, 33 in Tunis, seven in Paris, and we're hiring uh, 25 people in the coming uh, 12 months. And, and we need to keep on this growth uh, and, and uh, gain market share. Now, what is it that we actually do? Very easy, we are a company that helps companies and accountants automate their expense reporting. It's as easy as that. And why do we enter a market that it can look crowded from outside? Like there is expense reporting solutions for like 25 years now. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm? No, no, indeed, indeed, yeah. So I was gonna say, um, it's a, it's a great uh, segue into like getting into the details of Expansia. It's indeed a crowded market. Uh, uh, Kenny, maybe as you describe the, the product, and I'm thinking, let's take, uh, my, and I, we can take myself as, as an example, right? Uh, like you said, I hate expense reports, and I've gone through a gazillion different templates. I, I spend most of my life in management consulting, or so the likes of IBM, KPMG, Deloitte, um, and even with software companies, I also had to deal with expense reports. And the best thing that, the best thing, not that I could think of, but the best thing that I could find is even currently, right, we have an app on the iPhone where you can take a snapshot of the expense report, but it doesn't really um, compile the content of the expense report. It attaches it as, a, as an image file, and then you have to enter your enter manually enter the details of the expense there is also sometimes integration with american express a corporate card you can download some of those uh, those expenses you incurred which gives you a leg up in preparing your expense report but as you said it's a it's one of those things that has been around in terms of need in terms of like companies trying to offer uh, to offer solutions but it's super painful because you do it it takes time if you you have your admin and you ask him or her to do it yeah, sometimes you fear, did they cover all of my expenses or did they miss some other expenses I could have posted to America Express? I used Visa. So it is, it is uh, I'm, I'm very curious for you to get into the details because it's one of those things where it is something that has been around for a long time, but somehow it feels like nobody has cracked the code on how to, uh, how to uh, solve the problem. So please, okay, tell, me, tell me more. Yeah, I love it because you summarized our markets. So why did we decide to go there? Because we saw two things, uh, and, and then we, we built on these two things. First, it's, um, it's a large market, right? It's a large and deep market uh, with hundreds of millions of potential active users, if not billions, okay? The first thing is a large market. Second thing, we believe no one cracked the issue completely. And you can see it on the market. No one has a large market share. No, there's not even four or five different actors that together have half the market. Uh, you would need to uh, some maybe 10 different actors to reach half the market. So still fragmented with one large actor, which is what I call paper, paper and, and Excel. They still make 70% of European uh, expense uh, reports. And in the US is probably around 60. And so deep markets, not fully cracked. And then we looked at 
why, how would we crack it ourselves? And we started focusing on what is the future of expense reports. And for us, the future of expense reports was when we did the market study, first, mobile. If you're not mobile, you have less reasons to spend. In 2014, uh, a lot of expense reporting solutions did not do the mobile transition yet. They're doing it now, some did it, etc. So in Expensia, today 75% of our users never use anything else than the mobile phone uh, for expenses. So they never get online on the web app. Second thing was um, typing your receipt. Okay, so in a company like Microsoft or like any other, you are the employee, you're typing uh, your information. So you're saying it's 25 euros, I paid with American Express and it's a restaurant. Then the accountants will have to type again what they do, what they care about, which is here's the level of taxes, this is the, the, the VAT, uh, I can claim the VAT back or not. Um, and they're going to double check if you uh, put the guests or not, etc. And then you have a travel manager. The travel manager cares about different things. Where are my travelers? Uh, what is my level? Where is my level three data? Level three data is the travel data, which is uh, how many nights we spent, uh, breakfast, separate breakfast from the rest, and uh, etc. And so we focused on building this machine learning based technology that is able, when you snap a receipt, it's able to fill the data for you as an employee, fill the data for the accountant, uh, and fill the data for the travel manager and do semi-automated audits for the larger companies, helping them understand if that expense makes sense or not uh, through the data of our 3,000 customers. Okay, so that's why we decided to start. And the third reason is very specific to the European markets, is that in Europe, the receipt is key because the receipt has bad data and you have to archive the paper. But that regulation is slowly changing in Europe. So when we started, we envisioned that re that regulation would change in 2016. It actually didn't. It started changing in 2017. And as it is changing in the different countries, we are, we apply to become a certified archiver. So basically, our users, when they snap a receipt, they can throw it, which is not the case for solutions like Concur or solutions like that. I'm confident they will catch up because once the regulation change, changes for everyone, but we built expensive around that. And our machine learning technology helps us do quite stupid things like, hey, your receipt photo doesn't look good, which is critical to allow you to throw the paper because sure, we, substitute, we are a substitute to the paper, but you need to have a decent photo and a full photo of the receipt. And so using this machine learning uh, technology, we're able to fully process the data for you. And again, if you remember what we said about the European markets, it's a very fragmented market with multiple, with too many languages and regulations. And this is the kind of market where solutions like Concur or like Expensify will struggle because they do human-typed receipts when they offer you this kind of services. And it's easy to do human-typed receipts in a single language market. That's why Expensify is big in the US and Canada and UK and Australia, because they keep on growing in English-speaking countries. If you go in Europe and you have 15 languages and 27 regulations, it's much harder to, re to repeat that. And so that's why we invested on this machine learning system where it learns what is a receipt regardless of the language. Okay? No, so, so this is great. So quick thing on the machine learning. Um, uh, maybe two things. One, to step you back into time a little bit and then uh, spring forward to, to, to the, this, uh, this, uh, this point you just made, right? Uh, um, one for you, right? I mean, you have a, you, you're enjoying a great career in high tech with one of the biggest names, etc. Maybe for our audience, 
for you to make that that jump, right, almost into the unknown to some extent, right? How how did you how were you able to do it, right? How how did you overcome obviously the fear of like, am I doing the right thing? Will I will I uh, will I burn uh, burn my uh, my savings very quickly? I mean, did you feel like you had some back end? Uh, I think many people, right? They have ideas, and the, the greatest ideas come from real life experiences like yours, right? You really hated expense sure. reports, and I'm pretty sure many other people were in your shoes, hating expense reports, and and having probably the skills to develop a solution. But then it's like how to go from that mindset to basically saying, you know what? I'm gonna leave Microsoft, and I'm gonna make make a, like a move to Tunisia and start. So all of these questions, right? The unknown. How did you? How did you? Uh, how how did the jump into the unknown happen? And then we'll get back to the uh, to the uh, machine learning uh, thing uh, in a in a sec. Sure. So I, I have to be honest. It wasn't an easy decision. Okay. Just to be honest, it was a tough decision that I actually spent maybe nine months or a year hesitating, which I regret today because if I, if I jumped in nine months before, my company would be in a better situation today. Obviously, with the ifs, you can redo the world, but still, if I jumped nine months before, uh, we would be probably a local leader today because uh, our technology was ahead of time and we would have had nine months before. It wasn't a decision, but it started with a, quite a few simple ideas. First is I think I was still, I don't know how to say it, uh, in, in, in Europe, in France especially, when you're an engineer like me at, my, at Microsoft and you're a manager, you're actually making too much for what you need, but not enough to move to a different stage. It, it, it's, it's maybe hard to understand, but I was making way too much for what I need to live in Paris and not enough to go buy a, a, a large apartment in Paris. I don't know if you see. So you were somewhere in, in between. And when you realize that, you realize you can actually make half that money and still have the exact same life. So that was, that was the number one idea. Second idea was I needed to build something bigger than me. It's obviously there's a part of ego in that. But beyond the ego, there's this motivation where you know why you wake up every morning. And you wake up every morning because you're building something bigger than you. And that's a huge motivation. So I wanted to get back into that feeling and, and third, I loved being an entrepreneur when I was 15, although it had nothing to do with like modern times startup. It was, I don't know, uh, pretty like, I, I was like uh, an artisan. In, yeah, <laughs> yeah. being be your own boss, basically. <laughs> yes. And so I would say this is the combination of the three. Then how did the jump happen? France has this specific um, uh, subsidy that is hard to understand from the US is called unemployment benefits. And unemployment benefits in France are the number one startup investor. And it's not a joke. Uh, unemployment benefits is larger than any uh, subsidy here or, or really money. Because it offers to guys like me two years of salary, two years of 60% of your previous salary. So what I did in the beginning is I took a sabbatical year from Microsoft and I said, okay, I'm going to do this jump, move to Tunis, experiment, and if it doesn't work, I will come back to, to, to Microsoft after my one year of sabbatical. The one year was ended and I wasn't ready. So I extended six more months. After the six months, I ran out of money. I burned all my savings. Uh, I didn't build Uber. It took more time to grow and I was stuck. And at that point, Microsoft accepted to lay me off. And so they lay me off. 
And what happened is I got the unemployment benefits. So I had two years of salary from the French government because I was paying a lot of taxes. And by the way, that salary ends now. My last month is uh, January 2018. And so that really helped make that, make that jump less scary because you spending your savings on the company, but you don't need to spend your savings on surviving yourself, which, which is very important. And then I think I did that jump also because I didn't know it was that hard. And it, it might sound stupid saying it that way, but making expense here was extremely hard. So you have to work 70 hours a week, never knowing if you're going to make it from a market perspective and from a product perspective and, and hiring people and motivating them while you being exhausted. So in Expensia, we three times didn't have how to pay the salaries. It happened three times in our history. And so it is extremely hard. So I wouldn't say to, to anyone, just go and jump. But still, I would redo it tomorrow because extremely exciting, the best experience of my life. Uh, and I really love my team. And they're all working really hard following the same dream, which is we have this Tunisian startup that is going global. And we want to make it a global leader. In what we're doing. That's awesome, awesome, Karim. So the the, the uh, quickly on the unemployment uh, benefits, right? It's uh, it's funny to compare, uh, like what you said about France versus the U.S., right? The U.S. people have, I mean, the the concept does exist, but it's it's almost like minimum wage, right? Unless somebody buys like uh, an employment insurance or something, people who lose their jobs, right? I mean, they they are basically stuck, right? Um, mm -hmm. But no, this is this is awesome, right? So, so just to spring forward a little bit, right? And before we get into maybe geek out on on the machine learning piece, for you then, right? From a one man show, right? You're starting your own thing. Can you maybe mm -hmm. spend spend a couple of minutes as a founder, right? You're you're almost almost as as uh, the the guardian of the culture of this new entity, your own baby, and you're going it, right? So, how did mm -hmm. you set out to really identify and hire talent and set the stage for your company like i'm gonna hire people to be like partners of mine right i'm not gonna hire counter like how, how how did you go about this and then the other thing in terms of talent right you're talking about machine learning you're talking about some of the advanced computer science kind of concepts right was that a challenge mm -hmm. to find such talent in, in in tunisia or did you develop the talent so how did you how did you go about that so it's a mix of both. In the beginning, I, I, I went and developed the talents because when, you, when you're like me and you're doing your first startup, you think you can do everything. So I moved to Tunis and I hired a junior just out of college, which, by the way, are usually the best you can hire in Tunis because of immigration. So you need to hire them out of college, train them, motivate them, pay them more than the market and sell them this dream of the startup. Otherwise, they move to Europe and Germany and the U.S., and there is an insane lack of talent in Tunis because of that. And so we just start out of college for their internship. And then we, we help, uh, I would say, uh, seed, like drop that seed or that, 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 that motivation, that dream, and have them be part of that team. And so in the beginning, I did everything myself. So I hired the first engineers, trained them. I have a machine learning background, and I trained myself as well. Microsoft helped me in the different uh, trainings they offer. And, and I just go talk to as many entrepreneurs as I can and as many engineers as I can. That obviously has a limit. When we reach 10, 12 people, we started having marketing, we started having customer support. I couldn't do everything myself. And I had this extremely tough situation where I thought we we're going to give up at some point because we couldn't attract enough talent in the Tunisian market and too junior 
for the next step. And so my best friend, who was at Microsoft, who is the CTO today, he decided to join me. So he moved from Paris to Tunis and decided to join me. And so he's more or less my co-founder. Sure, he joined me 18 months after I started, but he's really my co-founder because that's when expenses changed scale. That's when I decided to be a CEO, which is tough because I'm an engineer and I had to learn so many different skills. And so the fact that I have Jihad in Tunis now, Jihad took over and he is now doing what I used to do, which is hire junior, grow them, uh, send them to as many trainings as we can and sell them that dream of rebuilding this large startup from Tunis and, and, and from Europe. And we started actually attracting Tunisian talent from abroad. So if some of the people are listening to me and they want to do an internship or Paris, they should join us. Or if they want to join the sales team in Paris, they should join us. So we'll and definitely so we'll definitely add some uh, some uh, links in the notes of the podcast, right? But on this thing, on the attracting the talent, is is definitely an issue, right? I mean, even even mm-hmm. for big companies like Apple, right? I mean, we I'm, I'm part of the recruiting team. We go after like, for instance, in my field, supply chain management, we go after like MBA graduates or like second year MBAs or whatever to try because we compete with Google, Facebook, others, and we then extend offers, some get accepted, some decide to go to Google or vice versa, right? So, but then <laughs> the, the appeal in Silicon Valley is obviously the, the, the name of the company, whether a big company or a small company, you get stock option or RSUs or whatever, right? So in your case, how are you attracting talent? Are you trying to, to kind of transfer some of the uh, Microsoft or the US uh, or European inspired best practices into the way you you uh, you you deal with uh, you reward your employees how do you do that Exactly so I, I used to be a recruiter at Microsoft as well for the engineering part for Paris I, I hired like half the team there and so I tried to apply the same skills that I had there it wasn't that easy because of different culture obviously and I, I did some bad hiring sometimes but we tried to apply the same uh, culture which is uh, we hire the best we can. We hire just the best. So if we can't find, if it doesn't meet the bar, we just don't hire. So that's why today we have like 15 open positions because we didn't find enough people that meet the bar. Two, we treat them as equal with us. So that is the equivalent of stock options if, if, if you want. And also we manage them as equals. So I really believe in something in management. It's called leaders eat last. And that leaders eat last is not just... Uh, because we we are good people, we are not. Everyone is 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 slightly you know egoist, but I really believe in that's how you can have people respect you. And so we focus a lot on that leaders eat last for our employees, and even when they grow into managers, because now we we have management positions. When they grow into managers, we force them into doing that, which is they need to hire people that are better than them. They need to grow them into being coming better than them, and they need to uh, show leadership. And so we we push that culture into into our company, and and a lot of people helped us through that, which is something really amazing. Like uh, different organizations helped us, other companies. Uh, we were part of a co-working space that uh, uh, was actually a huge success. It's called Kojit in Tunis. So we were sharing Kojit with with other startups. And there is that cultural shift that is happening in Tunis. It's just that the market is too small and the number of uh, uh, people you can hire is too small. And we don't have today the funding to compete with European companies. That's the biggest issue we have. We pay better than markets, 
but there is what we can't pay them like Europe. And so we still, when I make 20 offers, I would say at least 15 turn down to go to Europe. That's my biggest challenge right now, is we have a very high bar, we make good offers, but three quarters of them decide to go to Europe because they go to Google, to Microsoft, to other European companies. No, I mean, I can, I can definitely imagine that, right? I mean, you, uh, it's difficult also to, to be paying, I mean, a center of living in Tunisia is completely different than, uh, than Europe, right? You'll, uh, uh, no, nobody can pay like multiple uh, the market rate or whatever. Um, so on, on the talent, right, before we, we get uh, back to machine learning, on the talent, what's, I mean, you told me that you, you, you try to hire the best, you, you assemble the great pool of resources. And um, I know, I know, a uh, shout out to our friend, uh, 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 friends at, uh, at uh, Kojit, right, which has been a great success indeed. And then uh, I, I've, I've, I've met with uh, my good friend, Hatab Salemi, uh, who's mm -hmm. now the co-founder of Cognira, previously the, the co-founder of, uh, of um, Predictix. Is one yes. of the pioneers of really establishing, of really recognizing and establishing Tunisia as a, as a as a talent uh, mecca, basically for many companies, right? So your experience, right, especially getting into like uh, more advanced like concepts, etc. Did you, uh, other than you training people, right, leveraging your experience at uh, at Microsoft, etc. Or other, how do you rate their the, the, the fitness, I guess, of their curriculum uh, graduating from engineering schools in Tunisia to what, uh, what you see the market uh, need is, right? Uh, is there a huge gap, something that, that uh, universities in Tunisia need to work on? Or how do you rate overall yes. uh, quality compared to engineers you met in, in the U.S., whether Americans or Indians or, or Chinese yes. uh, or even European uh, engineers? Yes, there is a large gap. I mean, it, there is a pretty large gap. It's fixable, but there is a large gap. So today, we when we hire an uh, out-of-college engineer, we need six months to train him and fix that. Um, and that six months could be shorter if we did it full-time. But today, when we, you, we move someone in, he's, he's actually producing work. And so he's not being trained full-time. And so to fix that, in the beginning, we, we were a small team. So we used to go and teach at university. Um, we bring them younger, meaning instead of bringing them out of college, we bring them for uh, their uh, master's uh, uh, internship in the middle of the master's uh, so that we can train them earlier and give them a different spirit till they finish their studies. But it's not very scalable. What I'm doing right now is uh, with my brother, who's at, uh, who is also an ex-Microsoft, and he's now at Criteo uh, in, in Paris, uh, he founded this uh, talent pool training uh, center where he basically hires out-of-college uh, students. He does full-time intensive one to two months trainings, and then we interview these guys. And so he basically fixed one of my main issues, although he's not yet producing enough people for the market, but he's producing enough for me to hire maybe a couple every month from his, from his, uh, from his talent pool. It's called Five Points Talent Pool. And so uh, to come back to your question, short answer is yes, there is a gap. Uh, long answer, it's, it is fixable if you spend enough energy, but if I had to hire 200 engineers, I think it, it, it be very hard. But as I'm hiring, I would say two per month, it's feasible to spend energy growing them. 
Yeah, so so I guess uh, that's unfortunately a bit of a concern because my next question, Karim, would have been, can we turn the tech scene, the tech talent pool in Tunisia into a major export uh, industry almost, right? And it seems like it's not possible yet, right? I mean, it requires some work, it requires some strategy at the government level. I mean, uh, private sector needs to get... But we, we don't like we need some some work right to really align uh, align yeah. the, the graduates uh, and their curriculum or or training to what uh, the new trends and the market needs are basically. I would say to answer your question, can we turn into a hub? Uh, short answer: Yes, I definitely believe, and I wouldn't be here if trying to do it. But a tech scene for me is like a car engine. If in the car engine every piece is broken, just fixing one piece and bringing the best of that piece won't make your car go again, right? Yeah. Uh, you need to you need to fix different pieces at the same time. Otherwise, it's frustrating because you're fixing something and it's still not working. And so sometimes the first reaction is to say, "What I fixed, like I, I shouldn't have fixed it." But actually, no, you're just contributing to something that will only improve if everything's fixed at the same time. And so. If instead of the 10, 20 startups you know in Tunis, if there were 200, 300, 400, first is we would have more energy growing these people. Two, we would attract more of the people that are leaving the country because what you don't see is that the top X percent are all leaving. And so we are only working with second league, I would say, uh, uh, population. Uh, talent drain, basically. Huge talent drain. Exactly. Exactly. Unless you're selling this big dream and some, like we have some talent between us and they say like, okay, we know we're going to make less and whatever, but we want to be part of this dream for one, two, three, maybe four years, and then we'll see if it was a good idea. And so we can still have some like exceptions, but a lot of the best people are leaving. And so if we were 200 startups um, paying more than the market and bringing the right culture, yes we can turn to a tech hub because Tunisia is the number one country in the world in producing computer engineers compared to the population. So it's something we really have to know. Like Tunisia produces the highest number of computer engineers compared to the population. Sure, it's a small population, but it, it shows the interest for computer engineering. And, and at least my market, because Tunisia has a different market of an offshore market of older software, uh, and then they match the, the market. But for me, they don't match computer like machine learning and, and big data and things like that. But there are smart people that do uh, uh, like deep math and, and, and deep computer science that you can quickly turn into the right engineers you need. It's just yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it, that's that's the great thing, right, about uh, Tunisia, like you said, the ratio between between like the ratio of graduates to population. But even I mean, I I was so proud of my of my fellow Tunisians. I organized a dinner in Saco Valley with like we literally were seven seven um, uh, seven Tunisian engineers around the table, uh, all. Trained in Tunisia first before leaving for grad school overseas, whether in France or Canada or the U.S. And the the, the table was literally Tunisian engineers at uh, at uh, Apple, Google, eBay. Um, it's it's uh, the talent is there, right? I guess the question: How can we potentially figure out a way to work with the government and the 
the the the education kind of ministry, etc., to really repurpose right the training. By the same token, why why I find you very inspiring, Karim, and, and really kudos for everything you have done, everything you you continue to do, and we'll cover what's next for you right in a second. But I think you use the metaphor of a car, how to to really fix the engine. To me, what you're doing, what uh, what Hatem with predictics or or uh, Mariam, uh, think, uh, think it, uh, at Kujit, Hossam, uh, other people, right, is truly to, to provide the spark, to provide this inspiration. Because mm -hmm. the metaphor I always use is actually uh, to, to get into the, uh, to stay into the, <laughs> the transportation sector. Instead of a car, I use a train. So I call it the locomotive theory. Because to me, it takes mm -hmm. few success stories to, to, to really trigger a major change, right? Change, you don't need, I mean, even revolutions, right? They start with few people before they spread. And so I think the fact that there are success stories, we really need to get, uh, to get uh, it will help get many, many youngsters to probably refocus their attention on like uh, 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 growth areas and key specialties, etc. So what you're doing is truly, truly fantastic. So then let's exactly. now, oh, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Exactly. That's why we need this and the Tunisian community to really no, no, I think there was some but delay. also um, give a better image of Tunisian startup scene by basically uh, first communicating on the fact that we are Tunisian startups. It's true. Sometimes people say France is a French startup. We are in, in Tunis, but we started from Tunis and it's built in Tunisia. And also contribute, contribute by investing, contribute by by sending talent to us. Um, um, although I know people won't just move to Tunis, but they can come on internships, they can come on a two-year contract, they can. So we need we need funding, access to markets, so push us to to to, to potential customers. Um, uh, like follow us Facebook, download the app, test it, give us feedback. So that's what we need is basically make that machine work and and help us. And I think if my generation manages to build four, five, six success stories, it's going to create a different a, a new generation. Well, meaning we're not building the next Google, but it needs to be built in making uh, um, multi-million or tens of millions of minimum for that success story to be a spark, in my opinion. I absolutely agree, Karim. I, 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 um, I would love even for us, like uh, the diaspora in North America, if we can figure out a way to, to help. It's one of the themes that uh, has been on our minds for, for a while. As a matter of fact, we met, uh, um, I would assume you're a member of Atuj, although you could be a member of both Atuj and Type. Uh, uh, but we, we had a meeting in, uh, last summer in Tunisia. Yeah, we're and we're thinking, we're thinking of uh, establishing... Uh, really uh, a way for us to to uh, have at least uh, one major event every year to really introduce uh, people like you to to the to the larger to a larger audience uh, to the tech scene to to basically uh, uh, figure out a way for the diaspora to be more involved more engaged highlight success stories uh, inspire youngsters right uh, uh, we need somehow even as as as, as tunisians uh, to the two of us and everybody listening uh, we need to find like a natural goal right and it would be great to really uh, um, to to have uh, tech and high tech and startups become the next big thing for uh, for tunisia right so there is a great deal of work to be done 
in any case, let's yeah. let's let's go back to the machine learning and the, the the case study I gave you, right? Somebody like me, right? I mean, I travel quite a bit. I have lots of expense reports and stuff. So I were if I were to test your app, right? Um, so how walk me through the at a high level, right? And then maybe we'll post some links uh, in the notes of the podcast for people to potentially test it or play with it, etc. So. Tell me, tell me how my experience uh, would be using Expensia to fill out my expense reports in the U.S., right? So we, we can avoid like VAT and some of the peculiarities of the European system. Based on your life here in the U.S., how, how different will the experience be? Well, it's, it's, it's very easy. You would be, as, as an employee of one of our customers, you would have the app in your bucket. You, you, you are the restaurant, the receipt comes in, you just snap it, you just take a photo of the receipt. In two to three seconds, it comes back pre-filled for you. So you can then uh, potentially position it on a project, uh, decide where is the cost center, if there's something you need to do. Then the app will help you make sure you're doing the right thing. So it's going to help you detect if you probably forget the, forgot a guest because we saw you had three pizza and whether you're hungry or you have a guest. So we help you fill it if you need to, and then you're done. Your expense report will automatically go to your manager at a specific uh, uh, schedule. So say your company says expense reports happen to be Thursday or happen on month or whatever. You just don't have to do anything. It goes to your manager, and then your manager will get the right data he needs. He approves it, goes to the accountant, etc. Because our vision is not to be an expense reporting app, our vision is to is to move expense reports, basically. Then, if you're connected to, to corporate cards, your your corporate card um, uh, lines will come every night. It's pre-matched for you. If there is orphan lines, it's going to tell you there's orphan lines, etc. So it's built around the idea that you do your expense reports uh, real time. Every time you do a spending, you snap it and you move on. And in our roadmap, we are working on also detecting when you probably forgot to do your expense reports. So you're traveling, you have a meeting, etc. We learn from your habits and we help tell you when we think you forgot to snap your receipt. So that's the core, the core experience. Then on top of that, we built in France and we are selling it now. We uh, automatic expense reports, which is you set up your uh, Uber account, you set up your train account, you, you set up your um, whatever Amazon account. And so every time spending happens, we de automatically detect it and snap it for you. So you have zero actions to so do. You're using you some, I mean? uh, you're using some APIs basically with the other, with the other, with the yes, other apps. Yes. Okay. So maybe yes. back, back on the, uh, uh, Karim for a second, right? Back on the, you snap a picture of the receipt, right? So you're mm -hmm. doing like some computer vision type of like, uh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. okay. So how, like the development there, is it proprietary? Have you leveraged something from, from a cloud provider? Or is it uh, the, this is part of your IP? So, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's part of our IP, so it's, it's proprietary. Uh, although, of course, when you innovate, you never do it from scratch. So we combine existing technologies. And then based on this combination of technology, we built our machine learning system. So we have a learning system where basically when you snap that photo and say it's $70 and we tell you it's 10 you basically, you're not happy and you fix it. When you fix it, we learn from what you typed. Yeah, that's okay? the key. Yeah, that's the, that's the absolute key. Yeah. Yes, because machine learning is, is kind of a marketing term, but a lot of people will tell you it's machine learning based, but then they don't have a learning loop. But it's very important to have a learning 
And our learning loop comes from the accountants and the employee. When they change data, we learn from that data and we combine it to our 3,000 paying companies. Today we have 3,000 customers, a lot of SMEs, obviously, because when you start, you have SMEs. But we started having larger customers. We have Kestepan, we have Oyash, which is a, uh, an operator. We have uh, um, startups in the US. So it's, it's growing and larger companies. So we combine everyone's data uh, and everyone's learning to build a better system. So that's why it, it, it learned Spanish, it learned Portuguese, it learned German without having to implement these languages. It just learns from how people fix when they travel there and they snap photos. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me a bit of the uh, Carnegie Mellon professor, I forgot his name, the founder of CAPTCHA, right? Um, mm -hmm. The idea of almost like to learn to learn text and stuff through people like uh, uh, correcting some text or entering some text uh, as an authentication step, right? So, so on that note, maybe then um, for you, right? If if you uh, the, the, are you also without getting into like potential like privacy issues and things like that, uh, everything here it seems like uh, when somebody snaps a picture given the machine learning kind of like needed brain power, et cetera, it, it goes like it hits your cloud or it hits your servers to be compiled. It's not local, right? So you are gathering, if that's correct, then you're gathering, especially with big clients in Europe and stuff, you have a, a smart machine that's getting smarter and bigger every day. So are you doing other things in terms of like analytics to, to see some trends, uh, spending habits, uh, restaurants, hotels, etc.? And if yes, are you doing anything with that data or is it one of uh, your, your, your side, uh, side projects? So yes, uh, we, it's our next step. Today we have two customers that actually pay us for that data, not the actual data, but the analytics. So we actually, we are doing something with the analytics, but it's still uh, ad hoc. So we have two customers that pay for it, two large customers that we, we can't say the names. One is a large bank and one is a large uh, trading company. And, and they, need, they, they want that analytics to understand how they're standing in the market. And, um, and our technology got really noticed. So today, we also sell the recognition technology as an API. So it's still private. We have three customers using it, two startups, and, the, and the, one of the largest accounting firms in the world, they basically use our API to automate the work of the accountants, so, and which helps us gather more and more data, right? And so obviously we respect privacy. We even do much better than if it was human typed, because when it's human typed, you basically are distributing uh, the, the workload to actually humans that now know where you live. And, and you know, there was a scandal with Expensify two months ago around that, because they say it's smart scan, but actually it's done in, 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 in it's human based, it's mechanical Turk. And so the fact that it's automated helps with the privacy. Now, of course, we accumulate a ton of data, but it's anonymized and it's, we build statistical models on them. So all Although we never delete the statistical model, it's, it's, there's no link to the person, basically. We just learned that, uh, I don't know, whenever you have a McDonald's, people tend to say it's a restaurant. Done. Or whenever pe people buy a Big Mac, they say restaurant, where, while they just buy a Mac, they say it's, um, it's, uh, it's a computer. And so we learn on an item base what people are uh, putting as, as data and as information, and we build a statistical model from it. Wow, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, nothing better than uh, a smart uh, kind of engine that keeps getting fed, right? Uh, because the, the, the possibilities exactly. become 
limitless, right? That's why it has been so difficult for Microsoft uh, Bing to compete with Google, right? I mean, such a head start. <laughs> Anyways, yes. uh, so so Karim, if we look like three, five years from now, right? Walk me through your Nirvana scenario, let's say, right? What would be the ideal thing for you? Like Expansia is a global brand with with uh, major kind of roots in in North America, elsewhere. Or do we have like, uh, are you targeting like an exit strategy to potentially sell it to a larger company and then move on to an, uh, move on to another venture? Walk me through your uh, Nirvana scenario. I would say um, I, um, it, it, it would sound kind of stupid, but I'm, I, I'm not really thinking about the exit. I'm, I'm thinking about how, how big we can grow Expansia. I think three years from now, the success would be we are the leader in France. We are the leader in Europe, and we are a known actor in multiple markets, especially Asia and North America. In three years, we're not going to be a leader in the U.S., definitely. But I think being an, 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 like a competitor in the U.S. and the leader in Europe, uh, based on our technology, also having a, a large revenue stream coming from data analytics, because we have uh, more precise data, because we do line per line uh, itemization and, and, and processing. And another success would be two or three of my employees left to found the startup in Tunis. Wow, that's a great, that's a great, uh, a great way to basically talk, uh, 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 to have a, as a metric, right, for you as a founder. That's fantastic. Um, so um, the, other, the other thing, you mentioned the competition, right, obviously, and uh, you said, like, had you started this nine months before, in spite of, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you as, as a, uh, the technical brain behind this and then now the CEO, you must be working, like, super long hours and stuff, no question, right? So you still feel, <laughs> you, uh, you came across as if you still feel like, oh, sh shoot, I mean, if I had those extra nine months. So for you, right, to keep going this company, this, uh, this great uh, success Tunisian story, and I'll, I'll make sure I'll reemphasize the fact that expenses made in Tunisia, unlike what I said earlier, I was, I was wrong. So for you, with big companies, right, there is the cliche, obviously, argument that a small company is more nimble, moves faster, innovates faster. Uh, but then, on the other hand, you have, like you said, Concur, which have, uh, have used or even used, right? I mean, big companies that can notice new companies or new, like, uh, tools, and they can really target uh, target small. So how, how are you positioning uh, Expansia for growth while taking into account the competitive landscape? So it's, it's definitely tough. First is we, we tend to focus on saying our competitor is not Concur, our competitor is, is the actual company we're selling to. Our competitor is their own processes, is Excel, and is their ability to, uh, to, to think about build versus buy. Because some companies would say I would just build my own tool and, and it's cheaper. So that's our number one competitor is making sure our value proposition is so high that companies will never think about doing their own solution. Uh, because that's where the market is now how do we compete with concur I, I can give you one news is in december we were the number one solution in france in terms of new user acquisition we went uh, we used to be number two after concur now we're number one so despite concur um uh, resources the market is responding positively now obviously concur is hundreds of times larger and in hundreds more markets 
but it's important for us to go to like to be at like, this milestone, which is we acquired more users than Concur in December. So we're positioning ourselves as it's not an expense reporting solution. It's a new generation of something that is uh, uh, like removing the need of expense reports. That's our vision that we are executing. It doesn't mean we executed 100% of it. Obviously not. Our users are still doing reports, but our vision is to remove these reports. So that's how we position ourselves. Now it's definitely a tough market and a competitive and a challenging market to scale, go to Spain, go to Germany, etc. But uh, for now, I think our biggest competitor is ourselves and the companies we're selling to. Uh, when I say ourselves, it, mean, it means our ability to absorb growth and our ability to keep very high quality app. Today, we, ha we have the highest rated app in the market in, in Europe. Um, so that's our biggest competitor. When we will do 10x, then yes, the market will have an impact on us. Today, the market has no impact. It's just us and our ability to grow. No, that's a, that's a great point. That, uh... It's, uh, I like your tagline, almost like remove the express report. I mean, make the experience such a seamless, because I'm pretty sure like yourself, I mean, myself, like haven't filed hundreds, if not thousands of expense reports to, to, make, yes. to make this task kind of disappear will make many people happy. And I know, I, I mean, I, as we discussed, the fact that you had a head start with your IP and I mean, you, you're, you have something that's growing every day with every single submission of an expense report. That's that's your true advantage in addition to whatever new innovations you have. So maybe the, to, to close this chapter, right, in terms of expansion, and then I want to pick your brains on a, on a somewhat related topic before we, we close this, uh, Karim. In terms of business development, sure. right, that's one of the key challenges for any growing company, especially a software company, right? You need a sales force, it requires money, it requires investment. So if you were to look at the growth, and you have been growing at a fast clip, obviously, right, the last couple of years, how much of it is word of mouth? How much of it is uh, your own business development effort? Like, uh, and, and uh, like to get into new markets, right? Uh, what are you doing? And how can maybe uh, the Tunisian diaspora also help? Um, very good question. So in the beginning, obviously, word of mouth is, is a important thing because in the beginning, if you go to, to a, a large company with an actual buyer as a position, that buyer will make what he thinks is the safest decision. Um, and so you never, you, you cannot win because as a startup, they always think, what happens if you go bankrupt? And 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 no one wants to buy a product that dies next year. And so beginning a lot of word of mouth, and then we made sure every customer is happy. And when you're starting small, you have no excuse. You have the resources to make every customer happy and make sure that customer brings you 10 more customers. So, so that's, I would say, our number one acquisition. Number two, is when we started in this market, we focused on the user, we focused on you. It kind of seemed maybe bullshit to say we focus on your user because everyone says that. But in our market, it's very important and it's very unique because our user is not paying, the CFO is paying. So everyone is focusing on the CFO. And so Concur is built for the CFO, is not built for the employee because he's making the decision. And so in Expensive, we focused on the user and we built a ton of marketing around that idea. We built our marketing as if it was B2C marketing. We target the user and we make sure the user has a wow effect and he's so happy with the wow effect that he would make his CFO buy it. And no one believed in our marketing. And we still don't know how much is scalable, but today it acquired us companies like banks, like consulting companies. We even have, and I can give you this, it's, it's not a joke, the largest Concur reseller and integrator in Europe is our customer. 
So when he, he had to make a decision of what to buy, he didn't buy Concur. No one is <laughs> the biggest week. Wow. Uh, why? Because the buyer was a user. It's as easy as that. He downloaded the app, he tried it, he was like, I like it. And we spent nine months closing a customer because it's B2B, you never close a customer in a week. But we built around our user has to love it. Obviously, that's a challenge to scale because the user love it when it's well done for his markets. When you change markets, you have to tailor it, customize it. And, and we have that challenge today. It's like uh, our French users are more happy than our US users, for example, just because we focus on our markets and we, we, we scale from there. And so our challenge in the coming two years is to make all our international users as happy as our French users and keep on removing that, that expense report. Now, uh, like having a good strategy to sell is not sufficient. You have also to have the talent. And we didn't come from a sales organization. We had one chance is someone joined our team and he used to be the head of one of the American Express subsidiaries. And he's now running our sales team. And, and that changed our, uh, the face of our company. And I still don't understand why he applied, but it, it was one of the best uh, talents we, we, we acquired. That's awesome. And, and can you share, obviously, without disclosing whatever you can disclose, but what are you in terms of uh, funding and uh, are you targeting an IPO or whatever, right? I mean, what, what are you in your development life cycle, I guess, as a, as a, as a company? And uh, to raise even potentially more capital to, to, to fund your expansion and your growth? Okay, so we, we raised a million euros uh, nine months ago. Uh, we will obviously have to raise again. Uh, it's a competitive market where, where dollar marketing dollars are important. Although we, we are always very close to break even. Like every time we get closer to we get close to break even, we decide to invest more. Uh, so it, it tends to be a profitable business because it's B2B and your customers are paying. You're not just building audience. Uh, so that's the advantage of B2B, but B2B is slow. So uh, what do we target? Honestly, again, I'm not thinking about exits, but if I'm realistic, uh, we are in the niche market, an extremely large, but niche market. In this kind of markets, you don't IPO. Your best exit is to be acquired by someone who can use your niche uh, business to bring more value to, to his uh, original business. That's what's happened to Concur. Concur was acquired by uh, SAP because SAP knows they can make much more money out of Concur than Concur itself. And so I think that what will happen to us uh, as, a, as a successful exit. Statistically. That would be a fantastic exit. Uh, best luck with everything, Karim. My final question to you is um, to really pick your brains on uh, this emerging field of blockchain, Bitcoin. But if we remain with blockchain and its electronic ledger, security level, how do you see the relationship between that and, and your field of expense reporting? I, I, I see. It's an extension, and we are going there. I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a very big secret. Uh, when you want to make expense reports disappear, you need to have a deep connection with payment because every expense report is tied to a payment, is tied to some receipt, is tied to some need. And so, so you need to focus on these three. So I need to, when, when you spend, when mother spends, I need to know it. And, 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 and I need to, to help him do his expense reports and automate it, potentially just grab it from your provider, like Uber or whatever, and I need to then archive your expense and drop it into your ERP. So yes, 
going into payments and mobile payment and things like that is very important. Payments will never fix the expense report by itself because payment lacks taxes, lacks context of the expense, etc. But we need to uh, uh, be good at payments and payment management. Okay, okay. So that's my short answer. Yeah. yeah. Then, then we can go, we can go more into details. Uh, okay. Okay, Karim. Uh, thank you very much for this. Uh, these great insights. Uh, truly, your story is very inspiring, and uh, I hope it inspires. Uh, many Tunisians, both uh, home and abroad, right, to really uh, uh, kind of explore all the possibilities, right, of connecting, connecting their, their, their ideas with, uh, with the existing talent pool, uh, pool in Tunisia, developing it and creating a company that's, that's growing, that's becoming international. So kudos for everything you have done. And uh, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, close this with whatever final thoughts you have. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me uh, on, on on this podcast. I think my is 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 um, I think Tunisian companies and French companies they lack something, which is the um, spirits and the ability to go win markets together. Uh, that I see American companies able to do it at scale. So I think what we need is the Tunisian community and Tunisian companies to help us enter more markets using uh, their shoulders, basically, and we help them enter more markets. I don't know if what I said made sense in English, but uh, that's basically my last thought, is we need help, and, 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 uh, and uh, we will provide help to other startups as well, and that's how we build an ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we need to really leverage case studies and success stories like yours and some others in the emerging tech scene and startup scene in Tunisia to really inspire and figure out better ways for the public-private partnership that needs to be solidified in Tunisia. There is no, there is no way around that, right? So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch. We'll add a bunch of links from, from this conversation to the, to, the, to the notes of the podcast. And uh, Karim, again, uh, bravo for everything you have done and everything you have do, you're doing. And I hope we stay in touch, all right? Merci beaucoup. All right. Take care. Take care. And uh, allez, à bientôt. Ciao. À bientôt. Ciao. Ciao.